0: I want to continue our, our sermon series, Extreme Makeover, Calvary Edition. We, we've talked about this issue of vertical relationship, our relationship with God. And how God says, I don't want you to have any other gods before me. I, I, I don't want this idea of anything that, that calls for your allegiance. I don't want it in my presence. In our relationship with Him, how, how we rightly come before Him and, and how we rightly worship Him. We're not, we're not supposed to make uh, any graven image or, or come up with, with any of our own um, ideas as it comes to approaching God in relationship, that he's laid out how we are supposed to do this, and that we shouldn't take this connection that we have with God, we shouldn't take his identity, we shouldn't take his name lightly. And God starts out, and in, in, in these, these commandments that he gives, God starts out with those three commandments— to not have any other God before him, not, not have any graven images, don't allow anything else to take the place of God, and, and, and to reverence him rightly, to not take the name of the Lord our God in vain. He, he starts with that because everything in life hinges on a healthy understanding of and a healthy relationship with God. We shift from the focus of the vertical relationship, the relationship between us and God to, to how we connect with those around us. And he starts with family. Honor your father and your mother. It's the first commandment with a promise. And th- this issue of, of how, we, how we relate to one another, that, that as, as children, we're to honor our parents. As parents, we're not supposed to frustrate our children. Last Sunday, Pastor Dana talked about this issue of, of personal holiness and, 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 and how, we, how we interact with those around us. Don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery. You know, and it's, it's really easy to go, I don't do that, that's not my world, I don't live in that. And, and yet Jesus gave this explanation. He said, listen, you might say, I've never stabbed someone, I've never shot someone, I've never strangled someone. But when you speak that st- sort of thing against them even when you go so much as calling them a fool because it's not the action that's that's so important it's the disposition it's the attitude of the heart jesus said you need to you need to look at this and, and not look at this from a standpoint of justification or rationalization because it's really easy for me to excuse myself and to accuse those around me And it influences, it impacts, it affects the way that we relate to one another. And, it, and, and that affects who we are because God created us as relational beings. He created us to connect with one another. And this morning I, I want to challenge you with this. That, that maybe just for a few moments that we, that we take off the mask that we put down our guard. That we open up the curtain a little bit and say, God, I, I'm going I'm to take a chance with a little bit of vulnerability today. God, I, I want to give you the opportunity to speak into my day, to speak into my moment. And help me, God, not to take a defensive posture towards the message that that you have ordained for the day, and the ministry that your Holy Spirit wants to bring to me. But God, instead, I I come before you just wide open, saying, whatever it is, God, that you want to work on in me, whatever rough edge you want to sand off in me, I thank you, God, that your word says, that he who's begun a good work in me will continue that work until it's day of completion. And, and God, I want you to, to complete that work in me. So thank you for today, God. Thank you, even though the sanding might be a little bit uncomfortable, thank you, God, that you're faithful to do it. Amen? That's that, I, I want that to be your, your, your posture this morning. I, I want to I I challenge you in that. Moses. Moses takes these tablets. And he records in Exodus what's written on these tablets that God gives, the, the directives that he's, that he's given for his children. And isn't it interesting, my hope is this, my hope is as as we're doing this sermon series, that you're able to see the Ten Commandments through a, a, a hopefully a different lens, hopefully through a different perspective, because it's so easy to summarily dismiss them as a bunch of do's and don'ts, rules and regulations, that, that man, this Christianity thing is just a, 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 it's it's about a bunch of laws, right, and a bunch of things that we have to be mindful of that we, that we don't do. It's all about behavior. My hope is this, is that you're seeing it in this sermon series, that you're seeing it from the perspective that I believe that God wants to give it in that issue of relationship, how we connect with one another and how we connect with God. As we get to the end of the Ten Commandments this morning, we we find that Moses records this, You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his manservant or his maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. God, we thank you for your word. Let it be a light unto our path or let it be a, a lamp to our feet. God, help us to hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. We commit this to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. You know, it, it's easy to, to see what's recorded there in Exodus chapter 20 and go, check, I'm good. Check, I'm good. Check, I, I, don't, I don't do that. I, I, don't, I don't lie about my neighbor. I don't tell tall stories about my neighbor, and I certainly don't covet his stuff because my stuff's better than his anyway. I got the nicest house in the neighborhood. I drive the nicest car. Have you seen my wife? Have you seen my husband? That's what my wife says. Have you seen him? Why would I want somebody else? And yet... Let me, let me take you back in time. A group of friends gather. It's church small group. And there's food there, because there's always food at our small group, because uh, we have the best small group. Some of you, you think your small group's good. Yours doesn't compare to ours. And so... Uh, in fact, your, yours are just weak and sad compared to our small group. And, um, and if you're not in a small group, just shame on you. Because, uh, you know, that's what we do at church. We shame you. And so, uh, shame, 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 shame. But hopefully we don't shame you. But, but they're there in a small group and they're eating and they, they say, you know, I always knew there was something just not right about him. Didn't he seem just too perfect? I mean, everything seemed to work out for him. I mean, he's a good guy and all and and I love him but but I always had this I always had this sense that he was hiding something. I think we should pray for him. You know, even his wife, his wife has told him, what is wrong with you, dude? You should just curse God and die. We've read about this, those of you that are, that are reading in the Chronological Bible with us. We, we've read about this over the last about week and a half. Job 1.1 tells us this, there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. He was blameless. Some translations say perfect. He was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. And Job, having done nothing wrong, finds himself facing absolute tragedy. And his, his friends, good friends, honorable friends, godly friends, they Make the assumption. They jump to the conclusion. Yep. Yeah, Job obviously isn't perfect. For this to happen to Job, Job must have done something wrong. We've not been able to see it. We've not seen him do anything wrong because we know from Scripture that he didn't do anything wrong, right? But in their mind, they jump to that conclusion Assumption. They jumped to that conclusion. Now understand, they were not evil-intented. They were not hard-hearted. These were not mean men. In fact, when they come to Job, tells us this in, in Job chapter 2. When they come to Job, what do they do? They sit and they cry. They weep with him for seven days. And yet... Even though they demonstrate compassion, even though they demonstrate concern, even though they loved him, when they opened their mouth, what do they do? They bear false witness against their neighbor. You see, bearing false witness isn't simply lying about someone. Bearing false witness is any time we say something that is not accurate. It's any time we say something that is not true. It's any time we say something that is not honorable. It's any time we say something that is not loving. Paul gave us the list in Philippians when he said this, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, that is what we are to focus on. Let no unkind word come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. And see, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, these three friends, and then the young fellow, Elihu, who comes along in the story, they weren't malicious. But here's what they were. They were judgmental. They were judgmental. Are you familiar with judgmentalism? If you're not, you haven't spent much time around church people right? And, and here's, what, here's what Exodus chapter 20 says to us. It says, listen, you've got to get a handle on this. You cannot speak incorrectly about the people around you And you can't allow yourself to get caught up in that comparison game where you look at at, at who they are and who you are and you operate in judgmentalism and you look at what they have and what you have and you operate in either arrogance or you go, if I had what they had then... It's interesting to me, I'm, I'm just entering my, my fourth year pastoring this church and can I tell you three years ago when I came here, my friends said, Ed, there's no way I would go to Calvary. I had friends go, I would, they're, they're, a burning bush that is not consumed wouldn't convince me to go. I had one friend say, I wouldn't touch that church with a 10,000 foot pole. Now, three years later, they say this, Ed, if we had what you had, we'd be doing the ministry that you're doing. Really? Man, you can't decide you're going to be on one extreme or the other. I mean, at least land on something and stick with it. But here's what we find in, in Exodus chapter 20, verses 16 and 17. It says, listen, with the people around you, be careful that you don't get caught up in that comparison game that makes you operate in an unhealthy, critical fashion towards them. or in jealousy towards their blessing, their prosperity, or their success. And it starts with this issue of, of judgmentalism. And, and if we're going to rightly appropriate Exodus 20, 60, 16 through 17 in our life, if we're going to deal with this issue of criticism and coveting, the first thing that we've got to do is we've got to deal with this judgmentalism in our life. a funny thing, judgmentalism. It's often a very emotional thing as well. And, and, and while it's not limited to Christianity or any other religious belief, it sure has found its home in Christianity. Right? Those who follow a certain diet are often judgmental of those who eat what they want. Those who get up early will judge those who sleep in. The person who gets A's will look down on the person who gets C's. Uh, the, here, here's what's interesting to me. Uh, Those individuals who who are are homeschoolers will hammer those who aren't. And those who aren't will look down on homeschoolers and go, they're ruining their kids, right? There's judgmentalism on on, on both sides of of that argument. Those who are married will judge those who are divorced. Those who teach their kids to go outside and play catch will look down on those who, who say that their kids watch too much television, right? Those who are involved in politics will correct those who couldn't care less right how can you call yourself a christian and not be engaged in the march sorry my, my mind just went i'm 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 i will never forget as a, as a as a staff pastor a group of our church went out and they were they were they were they were, they were protesting at an abortion clinic and protesting the issue of abortion which m- make no mistake abortion is wrong and abortion is murder but i will never forget the anger and the hatred in their voice and going where where is love hopes all things believes all things endures all things where is that listen you cannot, you cannot violate one of God's principles, one of His axiomatic principles while claiming to hold on to another. And Christians are some of the most angry people on the planet. And, and, and one of the big reasons is because we get caught up in this issue of judgmentalism, Right? Those who have a date night every Friday night to try to fix their marriages will will look down on those who don't. Can I, let me just, let me just help you. Maybe this will set you free a little bit. Jody and I have been married for over 31 years. We're going on 32 years. Wildly happy. We do not have a fixed date night. I know some of you are in shock right now okay? Some of you plan on this week, you plan on emailing me the importance of having a fixed date night. Listen, I appreciate it, and I'm glad that that works for you. But can I, can I walk you through this? There's nowhere in this book, nowhere in this book where it says that I have to have a fixed date night. Now, there's nowhere in this book that it says it's wrong that you have a fixed date night, but listen, punk, back off of your judgmentalism a little bit. That's all I'm saying, right? I heard, uh, <laughs> I heard a guy speaking one time, and he, uh, we, they were talking about this issue of prayer. I was at a pastor's conference, and they were talking about this issue of prayer, and, um, and the, the speaker was doing some Q&A, and he said, you know, uh, one, of the, one, of the, one of the people in the audience said, you know, I was reading a book and, and it talked about this issue of, you know, how to prayer and how we're supposed to, you know, pray for at least an hour a day and all of that. And uh, he said, you know, the, the speaker said, you know, it's interesting. The person who wrote that book actually attends my church. And he said, they have no children. And even with no children, they have someone who, who comes to clean their house twice a week. And this pastor said this. He said, we have six children at home. He goes, I barely have a moment's rest to myself. He said, understand this, and, and it, it, was, it was very freeing. He said, understand this, that there are seasons to life, right? And the things that you do are going to, they're going to fit into those seasons of life. So if, you, if you're sitting here this morning and you're somebody that you pray two hours a day, that's an incredible thing that you do. Do not look down on judgment with the person sitting next to you who maybe doesn't pray two hours a day. And understand this, that you are not any more or any less spiritual than they are. Here's what Paul said. He said this in in, in Romans 14. He said, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind that you don't put a stumbling block or, or an obstacle in your brother's way. Because there's hardly a worse place to be than in the presence of someone who is continually looking down on you. And and that's where Job found himself, right? Job found himself, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, they came, they came lovingly, but they also came with some righteous indignation. Job, it's obvious that you did some things wrong. To which Job responds, gentlemen, Look at my life. If you can point out my fault, if you can point out my failure, if you can point out the reason why I'm experiencing all of these issues, if you can tell me the cause of the calamity that has come upon me, then I will gladly repent. I will gladly deal with it. Just point out to me the specific wrong that I've done. Well, we can't see specifically what you've done, but if you're going through this difficulty, it's obvious that something, you must have done something bad. Listen very carefully to what I'm about to tell you. Not all misfortune that befalls Christians is chastisement for sin. Sometimes it's God working in us to develop our character, or, or to rightly position us. Joseph would have never made it to the right hand of Pharaoh had he not spent time in prison. And why was Joseph in prison? He was in prison for doing right But it's real easy for us to judge. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good. To build him up. The way, to, the way to conquer criticism and covetousness, it starts with dealing with this issue of judgmentalism. And then it's very important that we believe the best in and for the people that God brings into our life, right? That's what 1 Corinthians tells us when it says this. Love hopes be- all things, believes all things, endures all things. It, it keeps no record of wrongs. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. And it never, never, never fails. We've got it. We got to get away from this this competitive mindset. There was a a group of Oxford professors that would they would regularly get together. They would actually go and they would hang out at this pub not too far from Oxford University. And uh, and they were discussing the the uniqueness that Christianity offers the world. And uh, some people said it was the, the creation story. Some said it was it was a cross. Others suggested it was the, the Bible, miracles, and hope. And as they're as they're having this conversation, C.S. Lewis comes into the comes into the pub, comes into the room, and uh, and he as he as he sits at the table and he, and, he, and he's listening to this. He. Uh, he responds, without hesitation, he says, it's easy to point out the primary uniqueness of Christianity, and it's this, it's grace. It's grace. Grace is probably the most radical concept humanity has ever known. It's, it's the only thing that's, well, that's really different in a world that's filled with isolated judgmentalism. It's the balm that cures all relationships. It's the the most attractive personality characteristic that any human could possess. This issue of grace. Accept one another then, just as Christ has accepted you. I don't, I don't know how your journey in Christianity has been, but let me tell you a little bit about mine. So I was a 15-year-old kid when I, when I came into a relationship with God. And I was a pretty messed-up kid. And and here's what I here's what I discovered. So so before I became a Christ follower. Uh, I, I, was, I was drunk more than I was sober. If you're looking, at me, looking for me on Friday night, I was going to be wherever the party was. And um, after I accepted Christ, so, so I accepted Christ, I was laying in a hospital bed, right? And, uh, and I was in a hospital for a little while. When I got out of the hospital, I got out of the hospital as a Christ follower, Right? Because I'd had this conversation with God and, and, you know, and God had challenged me about where my life was going. And so I told him, I said, God, here's the deal. I'll pray, read my Bible, go to church. I, I'll do all these things that I'm supposed to do. I'll do it for 90 days. And if you can't prove yourself for real 90 days, I don't want anything to do with you. But I'm in, I'm, I'm into this Christianity thing, right? So I get out of the hospital. You know what I do that Friday night? I go to the party because I don't know any different. And, and here's what's amazing to me, are you ready? When I, when I go to go to that party, there's not, God does not appear to me, right? In a vision going, uh, thou shall not go to this party. Thou instead shall go to a prayer meeting. He didn't do that. And, and what's interesting is this, is he also, he didn't zap me with a lightning bolt. He didn't. But here's what happened. You know what happened? So I went, I went to this party because I didn't know any different. I didn't even realize that I was different. But I went there, and, and because, of this, because of this work that God was doing in me, I saw that party from a different perspective. Right? Instead of being a, a means of escape and an opportunity to to, to put the world on pause for a moment, I I saw it. I saw it for the fraud that it was. God didn't beat me up over being there. He didn't put a a check mark in his book. Oh, Ed messed up there. Man, when he gets to heaven, he's going to have to answer for that. Instead of having an A now, he has an A minus. He better hope he doesn't get to C because then it doesn't go too good. Then instead of in a mansion in heaven, he's only gonna get a condo. And so... <laughs> but here's what he did. He lovingly and graciously changed my understanding, changed my view, changed my perspective. So, so I stand up here now... I don't not engage in that environment because God said evil wrong bad I'll smite you if you go there He He, he did a a wonderful developing work in me to the to the point that There's no draw for that. The the, the things of the world that I don't have in my life, I I, I don't miss. But how God got me from where I was to where I am, it was this, this wonderful journey of grace. And it was not, in in my experience, it was not a journey in grace that was coached by and helped by the church. In my experience, it was a journey that happened in spite of the church. Because let me tell you what happened when I came to church they were really glad that I was there the first Sunday, right? Because it's cool when the ugly sinner comes to church, right? Because then, then, then we get another one to our credit. Whoop, another sinner. We got saved. Woohoo! But then the next Sunday when I came back, and I wasn't perfect, and I wasn't clean, and I wasn't having my life all together, it was... I don't want my son by that kid. I don't want my daughter dating that guy. And so I would walk to church. When I was a junior in high school, I I would, after church on Sunday, I would want to be there for Sunday night church, and no one in church ever invited me to go to lunch with them because I was this troubled street kid. So you know what they would do? They would let me stay in the church. They would lock me in the church. They would lock the doors. If I went outside, I was done. So I would just, I would hang out in church. I never thought to bring lunch. That probably would have been a smart idea. I've I've, I've grown a little bit, right? I've gotten wiser. I would hear the things they said about me. I would catch the occasional whispers. Right? And there were many times that I wanted to run away. But there was something amazing about this God, and something amazing about His grace, and something amazing about the understanding that even though these religious people that seem to have their act all together, right, that the older that I got, and then when I got into ministry and found out how y'all, how y'all act on Monday, realized you were just as messed up as I am, yeah? Um, I I marvel at the patience of God with me and the patience that he offers you. See, it's, it's real easy to operate in judgmentalism as a way to hide our guilt and our shame. Right? Because if you're sitting here today, here's what I know. I know this, that the enemy regularly speaks into your ear and tells you you're not as good as you think you are. Let me remind you of that thought you had. Let me remind you of that activity that you engaged in. Let me remind you of the faults and failures of your past and your present. You think you're some great altogether Christian, but if the people in the church only knew. As a kid, I, I, I had some experience with church, not a whole lot, but um, my um, when I was in elementary school, my, um, my good friend, in fact, my best friend, was the son of a Baptist minister. And we would go to his church um, from time to time because my, my brother was dating uh, his sister, and the pastor wouldn't let my brother date his sister unless he came to church. And so my brother drugged me because he was afraid to go by himself. And uh, so we would go to church, and I've developed a friendship with to this the Pastor son of my age, David Lane. And, um, my mom one time was trying to get me to clean my room. And she said, she said, son, you need to clean your room. What if the pastor saw your room? To which I said, mom, I've been to that guy's house. <laughs> and you know what? Their living room where they entertain and all that, it's pretty and nice. But you take two steps down the hallway and their house looks just like ours. And what we do is we we work really hard on what the public sees. And we live in fear of what they don't see. And the way that we rationalize that in our mind is by judging. And that judgmentalism, it comes out in the things that we say and the attitudes that we embrace. And here's what, here's what God says through Moses in the Old Testament and, and through Paul in the New Testament. Don't do that. Don't, don't assume the worst about the people around you. Don't view them wrongly. Don't Don't speak your false perception about them. And certainly, don't overtly make up falsehoods about them. Don't chase after what they have. Instead, trust me to be faithful to you. And And when we when we when we get to that place, it's liberating. Let me have, let me bring it to this place as a closing thought. When Jesus is asked, "What's the most important commandment?" it's, it's, it's an interesting story, Luke chapter seven. The religious people of the day they come and they try to trap Jesus. They first come and, and, and they, they do this. They go, oh, Jesus, you're very smart. You're very wise. Uh, be careful when somebody comes and they, they throw a lot of overt flattery at you, okay? Because usually they're setting you up for something. Oh, Jesus, you're so wise. You're so smart. You're, you're, you're smarter than anybody else we know. So this, this issue of the tax, should we pay the tax to Caesar or should we not pay the tax to Caesar? And they ask this question because they know this. They know that if Jesus says that you should pay the tax, well, then they can say, see, he's just a, he's just a lackey for, for Rome. We should reject him. If he says you shouldn't pay the tax, he can go to the, they can go to the officials and go, this guy's inciting insurrection. You, know, you need to smite him. And Jesus responds and he says, uh, the, the coin that you pay the tax with, do you have it? Of course they have it. Why? Because they're a bunch of hypocrites. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so they pull out the text and he goes, whose picture's on it? Caesar's. Render under Caesar what belongs to Caesar, render under God what r- belongs to God. And they walk away going, well, that didn't work. So then these Sadducees come up and they're going to ask Jesus a question. And the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection, which is why they're sad, you see. And so they, um, they say to Jesus, okay, this woman, uh, she has a husband, he dies. So she marries his brother. He dies. And she does this over and over again, seven brothers. And they all die, which I, I think, brother number six, why did he marry her? And uh, that's just me. And uh, so uh, they go, who's, who's, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? See, Jesus, your, your, your theology is wrong. I uh, got you. And he goes, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. Right? And he rebukes them and explains to them scripturally. And then they bring their, they bring their, 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 their all-star, their expert. Okay? And this time they've got him. They know they've got him. And they they walk up to Jesus, or he walks up to Jesus and he says, Good teacher. Of these commandments, which is the greatest commandment? It doesn't matter what he says. Whatever he says, they've got a response to. Well, they think they've got a response to. So of all these different commandments, they think they've got, and they've got him. They, they, they've got a plan for everything. And he responds and he says, This. He quotes the most familiar scripture they would have in their culture. The Shema. Love the Lord your God. With all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. With everything you have, love the Lord your God. And then he says this, the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And, and that expert goes, that's pretty good. That's, that's it. And I think we're really good with the idea of loving God. I think that one of the places that we struggle is this idea of loving our neighbor as ourselves. Love your neighbor, okay, get love my neighbor, but love my neighbor as myself. And that's really where judgmentalism, that, that's, that, 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 that's where the root of judgmentalism comes from. That's where the root of bearing false witness comes from. That's where the the the, the root of coveting comes from. It, it's, it's born out, out of this out of this issue of a deception about self, a deception about who you are. So I there, there's so many of the old hymns I love. There, there's some of them that I have a disconnect with. And a song that most of it I love, but there's a part of it I really don't like is the song At the Cross when it says this. Would he devote his, his His sacred head for such a worm as I? Friend, God doesn't view you as a worm. God doesn't view you as a failure. God, God doesn't view you as a shipwreck. God, God doesn't, doesn't view you in that way. God demonstrated his love for you and that he sent his son to pay the price for your redemption. And when God looks at you, he looks at you not through eyes of judgment, he looks at you through eyes of grace. And the enemies got you messed up about the way that you view you and that skews the way that you view God and the way that you view, the way that you view others. And we live our life angry with God and we live our life jealous of others because of a mixed up understanding of who we are. Let me close with this thought. I'm always amazed by. I I regularly hear this. People will come up to me on Sundays or even email through me through the week, and they say, "Pastor, thank you for being willing to share your story." And what's interesting is when we see others being vulnerable, we see that as being brave and even heroic. But in those moments that it requires us to be vulnerable, we buy into what I believe is the satanic lie that vulnerability is weakness. So even on a Sunday morning when we come to church and, 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 and there's, a, there, there's a, a challenge to come to the, come to the altar and, re, and, and respond to the issues that God wants to work on in your life, the enemy convinces us that that vulnerability is weakness. And yet that's in stark contrast to even to the way, that we, the way that we view others when they're vulnerable. So how about today, we take a different approach and we go this, God, I know that vulnerability is a good thing. And I know that I'm not perfect yet. And I know that you want to do some work in me. And God, I I understand that my unhealthy perception as it relates to the people around me and this this judgmentalism and this criticism and this thinking the worst and and this, even though I don't want to do it, the fact that at times when I open my mouth, I'm saying negative things about people. God, sometimes I even go so far as I say negative things that I know aren't true, but in the moment I'm feeling so vulnerable, I'm feeling so weak about myself and so uncomfortable about myself, I feel like somehow I have to do something that, 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 that impacts who, who, who they are or the perception of people that have about them. Because if I don't, I feel like I'm going to look negative or I'm going to fade into the woodwork because they're going to be seen as so much better than me. And God, I've done it. I've said that I'm doing this in my life and the people that aren't doing this, they're not as good as me. I'm a Pentecostal. I speak in tongues. I I look at the folks that aren't Pentecostals and go, uh, they're not as spiritual as I am. And God, I thank you today that you're dealing with my disposition. You're dealing with my judgmental spirit. You're dealing with my jealous nature. You're dealing with my unhealthy understanding of my identity and my value. I recognize the damage that that does in my life the damage it does in in my connection to you and how it limits my ability to connect with the people around me maybe I don't do it in an evil expression, but boy, I can sure relate to Job's friends who are at best misguided. So how about today we allow ourselves to be vulnerable to God and with one another?